Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Michael Osborne of Wonderkind about marketing as a non-marketer. And let's be honest, many of us, probably most of us, do not have degrees in marketing. It's insane how many marketers and high-level marketers started out somewhere else and kind of found their way into the, uh, into the marketing realm. So Michael Osborne, he's the president of Wonderkind. He has over 30 years of experience in marketing technology. So he's experienced as a marketer now, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on his, uh, his early days probably mostly here. Um, he's an established industry leader trusted by major brands, Bloomingdale's, Hilton, um, Santander Bank. I hope I said that right. I don't. You got it. <laughs> and uh, he focuses on delivering excellent client experiences by leveraging multi-channel data and uh, profiles. He's also an expert in executive leadership, retail trends and sales, and led Bizarre Voice to its IPO in 2012. I also heard, Michael, that you are um, deep into barbecue. <laughs> yes, I've, uh, I've, I've had the luxury of living in Austin, Texas since 1998. Um, and, you know, that's the, it's the one of the barbecue countries or areas of barbecue focus in the, in the United States. I've also just always enjoyed cooking and certainly cooking outdoors. So you're, you're right. If, if you, if you want to pivot to barbecue, we could certainly spend an hour talking about that. <laughs> cooking out. I imagine not a lot of people in Wisconsin are big outdoor cookers. You have to be in an area where outdoors is, is somewhere you want to be Orlando. You're like, I'll cook inside. No problem. I, I don't know. You'd be surprised. I think there's, there's a lot of folks that don't mind the cold when they're cooking up something delicious outside. So you, you yeah. never know. I guess if you can ice fish on a lake, you can barbecue. Absolutely. Don't do it on a lake. That could end badly. (laughs) (laughs) Bad combo. So it dawns on me, this show will be all about barbecue, of course. Um, (laughs) It dawns on me, you're in an area that's known for great barbecue. And I thought, wait, are you an avid eater of it or maker of it? Because it seems like if you're in an area where there's a ton of great barbecue, you would just go eat the great barbecue. And if you're in an area where there was terrible barbecue, then you would be more of a cooker of barbecue because you can't just walk out and get it anywhere. Uh, which are you? I mean, I, I think it's a little of both, actually. I mean, and part of it is, you know, you get inspiration from when you go out and you try something and you figure out there's techniques that others use that make that, you know, whatever that product is, whatever you're trying to cook that much better. Uh, plus, there's, there's just something fun about being able to do it yourself and, you know, have, have a bunch of friends over and, and enjoy a great time and everybody's enjoying the food because that's what you made. Um, so it's, it's both. Uh, it's certainly, you know, in Texas, there's all kinds of great barbecue restaurants and I've, I've been to all of them. I mean, I, I enjoy them, uh, but I still enjoy doing it myself, at least trying to replicate some of the great stuff I've had out at restaurants. Yeah. Great thing about barbecue is uh, a lot of it is kind of cheap meat. You can have, yep. if you do it yourself, you can get really inexpensive meat and this cooking style is really designed to take the worst part of the animal and make it delicious. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, a lot of the low and slow cooking techniques were developed around that so that they could take advantage of otherwise cuts that would go to waste. The listeners um, and- are now thinking, wait, were you serious? This episode is going to be about barbecue, <laughs> isn't it? Well, we're getting to marketing in a second. We'll, I, we'll so, get there. We'll get I, there. I say whatever comes into my mind, it gets me in trouble at home and abroad, but uh, we will get to the marketing in just a second here. Um, okay. So barbecue aside, let's jump over to the marketing. Marketing as a non-marketer, having started out not trained in marketing. Um, I'd like to go over on this episode some of your experiences in yeah. companies and kind of your growth and what you found out and 
Um, yep. Probably to a lot of the listeners to let them know, like, look, you aren't alone in trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. And then here's somebody who was in that situation and did figure it out and some, some tips type of a thing. Um, so where do you want to start off with this? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you raise an interesting point about not necessarily being one, but having to be one, a marketer. And, you know, technically my roles in, in individual contributors, in, in individual contributing roles or leadership, you know, I've never been the CMO. I've never been the, the primary person on the marketing team, but I've been more on the sales side or the client side, which is invariably also a marketing role, particularly early stages where you don't necessarily have a, a huge marketing team or a huge marketing budget. And, you know, you're always, there, there's, you're always selling, you're always marketing, you're always promoting your brand, your product, your technology, your company, whether you're a 10 person startup or a thousand person scaled organization. And I think that, you know, those roles blend together and end up working together very closely in, in, in situations where they're doing it right. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot actually to, to unpack around how sales and marketing work together um, and how marketing is really something that everyone does. Uh, of course, there are individuals that are super, I mean, super talented and brilliant at it. Uh, we've got a lot of those here at the company I'm with today, Wonderkin. Um, but in my past, we've had situations or early days where we didn't have that talent and we had to come up with it on our own. It certainly, you know, learned through trial and error in some circumstances, what works, what doesn't. Happy to share those kinds of stories. Uh, sounds like your listeners might be uh, on that end of the spectrum as far as trying to figure this out before having all of the money to spend and all of the talent to hire in order to do that discreetly with people that have a ton of experience. Yeah, I would say when we think of some of the greatest marketers, one of the first names that comes to mind for me is always Steve Jobs and people think of him as a marketer, but the guy had no marketing training and experience. Yeah. So a lot of this, uh, I, I don't, I don't mean to uh, talk down to uh, getting a degree in marketing. I'm sure that's very useful. Um, and I'm sure many companies get, get a lot from their employees that have that kind of training, but you, if you don't have that, you know, you could just end up being Steve Jobs and sorry about that. Well, I mean, if you think about it, what was what was Steve Jobs so good at? And, you know, he, he, he essentially had the term reality distortion field coined for him. And, you know, that that is at its essence marketing, right? You you want to substitute someone else's reality with the one that you want them to understand, to see and to feel. And, you know, it was an experience to listen to him talk. It was not just him telling you the statistics about a product. Right. Uh, I still remember watching, you know, the very early days of the Apple events, like when the iPhone was announced and you couldn't, you, you couldn't help, but get behind whatever he was saying and want to hear more and want to experience it. He, he, I think at his core understood that marketing is about communication of the full experience, as opposed to simply an outcome, simply a goal, simply a number. Uh, he wasn't looking for leads. He was looking for people to believe. Right, and I think that 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 level is beyond what where most marketing organizations and even marketers really ever get to. But look what happens when you do; it it changes literally the world. Um, and I, I think he did a great job of that. I would also say he did a lot of hard work. Absolutely. Like if you read up on the guy, um, he wasn't just you know coming up with a catchphrase and then people did all the work. He had a lot of people with him doing a lot of hard work also, but. You know, he was designing on the side and going at, at nights and to to set up an Apple store and figure out how is this going to be laid out? This is important. We need to like rethink how this whole thing works. Um, he didn't just say somebody set this up and it, and it happened. He didn't just have flashes of brilliance. Like when he was presenting, he would 
practice his presentations like Michael Jackson would practice a a concert. Like he was just constantly oh. drilling over and over and every little detail he wanted to make sure uh, he got perfect. So a non-marketer I mean, doesn't mean if you have a flash of brilliance, that's how you're going to get there. No, it's probably going to be trench work. Yeah, you you, re- you bring up a really good point, which is that attention to detail because experiences are, are they're born in those details. And you know, he, he Steve Jobs specifically cared so much about the materials used in a product, the way that it looked in certain lighting situations, the way that it felt, the the, the weight. Um, everything had to be specific. And, you know, he was known to be a hard ass. He was known to be someone that would summarily dismiss ideas when he didn't agree with them or completely scrap something and start over. Or scream and cry like a baby when he didn't get his way. So enough about Steve Jobs. I've heard the guy (laughs) guy was a prick. So let's let's focus on Michael Osborne here. Less of a prick than Steve Jobs. That's your tagline. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) not, not not a tough bar to beat. But yes, yes, absolutely. So marketing um, as a non-marketer, can we jump back to one of your early um, early business experiences where you were put into the marketing and just kind of tell the audience about the situation yeah. there? Yeah, one of, one of the earliest ones where, you know, it was a company called Bizarre Voice that was founded in, I believe, 2005. I joined as employee number nine. And at that time, we did have uh, a, a head of marketing. We had somebody who had come from Dell and had done marketing in B2B uh, circles for, for many years. So we had some of that expertise already in the business, but um, we were doing, you know, we were doing something completely different than what Adele had done. We were doing something completely different than my prior experiences. I was running sales. So myself and, and Sam, Sam Decker, the CMO there, we were partnered to go to market together and really had no team to start. I mean, at that time, we were just a handful of us. And, you know, I remember spending a lot of time working with Sam around, all right, how are we going to get the word out about our technology that we're going to market with. It was a ratings and reviews company and some simple concept. People got it right away, but it was nascent in the market at that time. Hard to believe, but most websites didn't have product reviews. And I remember sitting down and talking about some of the customers that we had already signed up and some of their results. We, we had you know half a dozen clients live very early days. And I remember listening to the stories that those customers would say about what our services that we were providing and our technology what those results, you know, that we were driving for that. Right. So and already trench work, like you're trench a lot work. of people don't sure. marketing. They think oh, I'm going to create a Google AdWord thing. And right. then I'm going to make some social posts. Like you are collecting and listening to the actual customer feedback. Yes. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the things you just mentioned, yes, they're valuable as channels and they can drive business results, but it's a little cart before the horse. If you don't know what you're trying to say, if you don't know what is going to inspire someone on the receiving end of that content, to take action, to engage, to get curious, to want to talk to you about your product or service. Right. And once you figure that out, those, those channels are phenomenal for distributing that information, for engaging and, and discovering potential con- uh, customers. But if you do that first, before you really know what you're trying to say and why someone else should be passionate about it, just like you are, um, you know, the, you can just waste a lot of money and time doing that. Right. And, and if anything, get get a false negative where it's like, you know, it's not working. There must not be product market fit, or this must not be of interest. Well, it might be, but you just might not be saying it in a way that's right. interesting. So you're finding and, and out that, what they want to hear. So you can yeah. tell them that kind of versus saying, Oh, I, it seems like a non-marketer has an advantage in that sense then, because if you're used to marketing, uh, let's say a movie release or something like that, you have your template that you're trained to do. Absolutely. And then you have a software as a service product and you're like yeah we so we need to get on the, these radio spots and put up the billboards and then and you're like wait 
you have a template for a particular type of marketing, but a non-marketer just starts with the product and the audience and has to build from the ground up. So you, you aren't basically trained improperly possibly for that product. Um, you have to build from the ground up. So you have this opportunity to not bring your marketing experience baggage, I guess. Right. Well, it, yes. It, and, and it's also, it, 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 it's a good point that you raised, but it's also about not necessarily just believing, okay, the way that I've done it and the way that it's worked before and the way I measured my success last time is the same way I should do that now. Um, and certainly this is, you know, not against any marketer that's very experienced at all, but there's, there are systems and setups and uh, data that would naturally be calculated to say market is a success or not. And I think early days in working with marketers, specifically in a sales role, like with Sam at, at Bizarre Voice, establishing that the actual result that will say success or not was, have we acquired more customers? Are they successful? Did we grow the business? Not how many leads do we generate? Because right. you, you get the, you get into this trap of like, well, we generated a hundred leads, but sales only closed two of them. Well, right. They were okay. all bad targets and shouldn't. Then have they, they might have been, or the yeah. messaging might might not have been what was really going to you know actually uh, encourage the right buyers to engage. It was encouraging a different set. Right. And I think sometimes you can see things in 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 kind of like atomic units and say this was a success, this part wasn't. But really, the end goal is acquiring more customers and having them really enjoy the product or service that you've now given to them or you know sold to them. So marketing um, success is sales. It reminds before we uh, started recording, I said something I didn't think was related to this. I, I don't know how it's coming back around to this, but I had this thought today that on the quote, it's not about the um, destinations, about the journey. Right. And I had the thought, well, unless you don't make it to the destination, then it was just about the destination is what everybody <laughs> right. will tell you. Like, hey, you didn't make the destination. Marketing is kind of the journey, but it's like, hey, if you don't make it to the destination of sales, then Forget about the journey. Nobody yeah. cares about the journey if it doesn't draw. Oh, but we got a ton of leads. Look at all these things that happened along the way. You died right. before you made it to Oregon. <laughs> Who cares about the journey? Right. I mean, it, it, they're all interlinked, right? The, the end result is uh, the acquisition of more customers, the delivery of value, the, the services, and the, ev you know, the eventual value that you've provided. Each step along the way is critical. If you're terrible at marketing, but you have an amazing service, you're still going to fail. If you have an amazing marketing team or marketing skill set, but a product that doesn't work, you're still going to fail. You if have to you be good enough at everything. You have to be. And Again, you back to, to also... Oregon Trail, you got to be able to hunt. You yes. got to be able to raft. You gotta... Yeah, you be I don't know if anybody got the Oregon Trail reference. Uh, probably I, not, I got but... it. I, I got it. I mean, you, you do have to be If you're over 40, you got the Oregon Trail reference. I think it's also relevant to say that, you know, it, you got to be good enough at all of it, but you also have to be getting better at all of it all the time. Because those, you know, those conversations that, that marketing initiatives will drive you into, the feedback coming out of them, whether they go really well or not, that feedback needs to be incorporated back into the messaging going forward. If, if you just, you know, if you believe hard and fast, this is the right way to do it, I'm just going to market this way for the next 12 months, let's see what happens. Without iterations, without feedback, without a closed loop, uh, you're missing out on so much potential benefit to your process overall. Um, and as you discover more and more of what customers really do care about, what they don't care about, and you hone the details so that you, you make those, those experiences that they're going through as they're working with you, either from a marketing standpoint or in a sales call, or eventually from a product, the, the better you make those experiences and the more value that you can deliver for them, the better that whole process becomes, provided you're incorporating it going forward and not just saying, this is the way we're going to do it. And we're going to stay on this until you know, it, it, it wins or loses.
Right. Um, and I think really good companies do that. They iterate quickly. They figure out where the market is changing. They adapt to that. Um, and they're able to continue to address customers' needs as opposed to, you know, potentially never get there or become a laggard down the road. I love uh, that where the market's matters. changing, because even if your target audience is the same, marketing, it's like sociology, it changes your audience. So you will saturate them with a message or something. Rarely do you find something in marketing that continues to work indefinitely, because once it gets usually it's the novelty of it that makes it work kind of. And once right. all your competitors and you are using the same technique, it's going, you've overfished that pond kind of. So even when you find the right way, you have to change constantly. Something you said made me think the non-marketers and marketers alike. So I guess I'd say the experienced marketers um, that are very good are probably also a blank slate in that, yes, they know all these techniques and they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't bring it all to the table as far as making their decisions based on previous experience, that part of them is a blank slate. And most likely they're coming in and saying, let me collect the information and then use that to, in this use case to make the decision. So they have the advantage if they're good of, of uh, having all the experience, but not bringing it on as, as, as baggage. And like you said, constantly iterating based on, based on the, the, the data. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think you raise a good point because I think what really good marketers bring is not the, this is the exact way to do it, but rather the understanding of the, the why you're doing it. Like I, I think of really good marketers as people who understand that the consumer's experience is going to matter more than anything else, that a customer's uh, delight from the product or service matters more than anything else. How they get to that, how they communicate that, how they structure their technology, their programs, their techniques, et cetera, to accomplish that is different with each company in each market working with each potential audience and, and shifts over time. But really good marketers know that value and uh, quality of a, an experience or product um, and the start to finish interactions that you'll have with a brand, et cetera, are what matter most. And they will optimize for that given the other factors involved in whatever it is, whether it's a SaaS company like Bizarre Voice or a physical product like an apparel category. They're different techniques. There's different experiential components but overall, the experience that the consumer of that product or service has with the brand is what's going to drive the outcomes that you want. And I think good marketers bring that as a framework, as a concept, as a strategy, as opposed to a discrete, do these exact things, do it this right. way every time. It worked for me last time, I'll do it again. So I feel like I keep sidetracking you, like you're getting into no. Bizarre Voice. You mentioned, hey, we had this marketer, but, and then I take you down some other Oregon Trail um, diversion <laughs> here. Uh, so can we get back to Bizarre Voice and, and, and your story there? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, you know, going back to the early days, partnership, sales and marketing, essentially we learned very early on, and this is, you know, this is not rocket science, but learned early on that what sold best were customer testimonials, essentially. Um, and, you know, it's not, it, 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 maybe it is ironic that we were a ratings and reviews company, but basically selling based on the reviews of our own services. Now, they're very different. B2B reviews are not what we were providing to technology or to brands, rather. We were providing technology to write product reviews. Uh, but we used our customers' reviews of us, not just the product and service, the value that they got from that, but also the experience they had working with my team or working with me or working with our CEO. So that those stories were what encouraged and excited and delighted potential customers to engage with us and take a look and listen to what we had to say and give it a try. 
um, I, you know, the, the early days were really learning about which testimonials were going to work the best, and how we would communicate those. Of course, once we collected those and had a number of them, then it was, okay, great. What is the best set of techniques and tactics? When you say a number, how many are you that? talking about? So a listener would be like, oh, I need to go out and get five sure. or I need to go out and get two. I mean, I, I, think it, I think it varies again by category because for a B2B software company doing, you know, very early days, we had three or four and that was enough. Um, today, if you're marketing a product, you know, you see it online and you, you want you want to see a thousand reviews which with a 4.9 rating, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It's very, it's different. Um, and I think it just depends on the category of what you're working on. But when it comes to, you know, specifically for like B2B and software companies and, and SaaS companies in particular, just having a handful, especially ones that are willing to speak live to a potential prospect. I mean, that was something that we did very clearly early days was encourage our, our earliest customers to be those kinds of advocates and and be vocal about what we were delivering on. And of course, you you can do things commercially like, you know, offer a discount in lieu of being one of the earlier customers and being one that's willing to speak on your behalf. But, you know, we also made sure to be like, great, tell them everything, good, bad, ugly, all of it, right? Because right. You, you don't want just a, everything's perfect, it's amazing, and it works great, please buy it. You, you want to know, well, you know, this was a little bit more challenging, but the team was great and worked through it. Or, you know, that one time that it didn't work, they figured it out and right. made it better. They screwed up, but then they made it right. right. If all your ratings right. are just this person's the best, this person's the best. It's like, wow, how many family They're members not do you have? You got a lot of ratings. Exactly. There. You need the one yeah. that says they blew it, but then they made yeah. it right. Because you have to know you're yeah. not going to be perfect every time. What happens when something goes wrong? You, you want, yes. And it goes back to that experience that a marketer is trying to create. You want it to be um, out. You want it to be amazing, but you want it to be believable. Uh, <laughs> not too amazing, to, yeah. Not, I mean, yeah, not unreal, right? You want it to be realistic enough for someone to say, "Great, it'll also apply to me," um, because you, you you don't want to believe that that experience happened just that one time and it'll never be recaptured. You want to believe it could be replicated or even improved on. Right. And I, I I've think seen those case studies. Balances. Yeah, where you're like, oh, let me tell you how I helped this client close ten million dollars in twenty four hours. Right. Like, okay. I mean, it then exactly <laughs> something right? fishy. You got one weird, lucky situation where you stepped right. in and then they happen to close a deal the next day. That's right. not a case study. <laughs> no, it, it's not. And when you see the like, you know, 10,000 X returns on investment and stuff like that, it's like, that's a lucky shot. Right. I think most people would be very happy with, you know, 10 X return on that investment. And that would it's, be, of course, great. But it's like the guy just, who won the lottery writing a book about how to get rich. <laughs> and you, you find out once you buy it, like I bought a lottery ticket and it was a winner. You're like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> this not doesn't exactly help me, man. This isn't your process just because it happened to you. Exactly. That's exactly I need right. a repeatable process here. That's right. Okay. So the testimonials, having a good amount of them. And like you said, it depends on how big your audience is, I suppose, maybe 0.1% or what of your, uh, the audience, the number of customers you want to have, you should have testimonials for. I, I don't know. Maybe I mean, if, you, if you want 300 customers, you need three testimonials. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's different, again, by company, by industry, whatever. Here, here at Wonderkit, we, we focus on delivery of results and value. We want to provide value for our customers. And it's, it's, it's not an, well, it, in many cases, it is actually an explicit goal of getting a customer testimonial or case study from every client. Whether or not we can use it, whether or not it's public, whether or not it's shareable, doesn't matter. But you want to have that level of uh, passion for results so that no matter what we're doing, we at least have those demonstrable examples of we delivered value for you. Right. I mean, you, we, you know, we. So you ask we, every client. It doesn't mean they're going to get sure. it. It doesn't mean you're going to use it. 
for sure. Yeah. We, we, we create them for clients. Mm -hmm. We literally in our you know, quarterly business reviews, we'll say, here's the value that you've gotten. Here's what we've done to, to work with you to get there. Here are the things we want to do next. And that's similar to a testimonial in the sense that, yes, it's an example. Do they have to talk about it? Right. No. You're like, here's a third grade book report where you just plagiarize this, change the words to first person. <laughs> it's, I, it, I mean, it, it comes down to making sure that we're focused on providing value, right? right? That's, what, that's what we do. That's our business. And you know, we go so far as to guarantee it. Um, but we want to make sure that the customers know they're getting value from what we're doing. And of course, that generates hundreds of examples that we can share with others if, if they'll allow us. And if they don't, that's okay. But it also means that that customer, when they're coming up for renewal, because we are a SaaS business, when they're coming up for renewal, it's a lot easier when you can say, by the way, we've delivered a ton of value. Here are all those times that we showed you. And, well, and look um, what you said about easier. us. <laughs> Use well, their own exactly. testimonial. <laughs> look what this person said about us. <laughs> exactly. It's you. Uh, fantastic. So test you guys found with that company with bizarre voice testimonials were a huge, I imagine. And for the people listening, like, okay, yeah, I need to do testimonials. No, no, no. The point is they right. found that to be effective for theirs, for your company. It could be one of many right. different marketing channels. That is the most right. effective thing. If, if Michael went from bizarre voice and said, here's the formula and just testimonials are all we're going to do in every company he was ever in. He probably wouldn't have had the success that, that or you probably wouldn't no. have had the success you've had since I'm guessing it, that wasn't your formula everywhere. It, it's, it is different in each place. And, 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 you know, I, I have had a career mostly on the MarTech side of things focused on B2B. Um, so, and working a lot in retail. So there are a lot of things that yes, similar results uh, will drive similar benefits, testimonials and case studies of clients value delivery. That's universal in the sense that, those things are beneficial in my world, which is B2B, MarTech software, SaaS companies. Um, however, each environment has been very different. At, at right. Bizarre Voice, we were very new to that market. There was nothing else like us, really, and only one or two very weak competitors. At Smarter HQ, different company down the road, tons of competition, lots of overlap in the way that we were perceived as what we do. Uh, and here at Wonderkind, again, different, right? Not a lot of competition, but perceived, perceived competition, yes. So, you know, each one of those meant great in the, in the environment where there's really no one else doing what you're doing. You have to get people to trust that it's a good idea to do it. And there's, there could be fear and uncertainty and doubt around if it is at all. In an environment where there's a ton of competition, the market's validated, the concept's probably validated, but now you got to differentiate. And in, a, you know, in, in Wonderkin's market where we are very differentiated, but it can be perceived that we're not, we have to do a great job of educating why we are. So each one of those has a different angle of attack, really. Um, and that means that, yes, the case study is valuable here or at Smarter or at Bizarre Voice, but the case study is used in a different way. It is, it, it, we, we tailor that message to a very different outcome because we want to differentiate ourselves, because we want to dispel the belief that we're not differentiated, because we want to gain comfort and trust that whatever we're delivering is actually a valuable thing. It, depending on that goal, depending on that overarching message and what we need in order to be successful, we might use the same units of value, like a case study, but we're going to deploy them in different ways. We're going to talk about them in different right. ways. We're going to you market that in different ways. And I imagine even if, if you had stayed at Bizarre Voice the whole time, um, that over time, those techniques would have also changed because marketing Correct. is this constant flow. So it isn't even just like you move to another company, different situation. You no. move to another company. The last company also probably now has a different situation, a different market, different number of competitors. Like everything is changing. That's right. Um, 
type of a situation. Yeah. So don't don't think like, oh, I need to change things when I move companies. Like likely you need to change things in your own situation from on an ongoing basis. A hundred percent. And a lot of times I think um, just in general, people get, you know, maybe a little bit comfortable in the way things are, are working, if, especially if they find success and they just expect it to keep working that way. Really good advice I was given by a board member, you know, three jobs ago, four jobs ago. It's never as good as you think it is, and it's never as bad as you think it is. So when you're crushing targets and things just seem like they're literally falling out of the sky, what are you not doing well? What are you not seeing? Because eventually that's going to change. Well, it, that may, won't it may last, slow down. Yeah. You'll either forever. saturate that or competitors will exactly. see what you're doing and duplicate it and step into the exactly. space. And uh, Yeah, I mean, something's going to change, right? And when it's not going well, that doesn't mean throw everything away, start over. It, it just, it's very different. So it, it, it means that as marketers, as business people in general, you have to continually look at what's working, what's not, and why, and think about where things are going to be in the next year, two years, five years, as opposed to where are they right now? And am I, and am I doing it right for this situation only? Um, and, but, you know, giving yourself the ability, the time, the, the, the space to think strategically down the road is important to make sure you're continuing to adopt and well, rather adapt to changes in the market. And I think, particularly in retail, I've seen this over the last 15 years, um, retailers that don't adapt to consumer trends changing, fail. And there are brands that aren't with us anymore because of that. Uh, and they used to be popular, but they're not today because they failed to adapt. Marketers right. are the same way. You know, if the, if the, if the world is shifting, how, how the information is gonna be received, what do consumers really wanna hear? What do your potential customers think, say, do about your product, your service? Um, if you're not adapting to that over time, eventually you will hit a wall. Um, and Especially, it's very I mean, you mentioned retail. Yeah. Industries where it's kind of what's hot, what's new. You can't just sit on something. No. Because it doesn't matter if you're Facebook, if you don't go get Instagram, the young people don't want to be in the old people. They don't want to wear the same clothes. It right. Matter if the coolest clothes ever, you're going to have this cycle because um, right. the, the, the Kids don't want to wear what their parents are wearing, most likely. No, and I mean, you bring up a great point. Generational is another, you know, entire category of consideration when it comes to marketing. Um, how each generation buys, what tools and technologies and services and information they seek, um, the mechanism by which they do so. I mean, it, no one was shopping on an iPhone 15 years ago because it right. didn't exist. Right. And now a lot, a high percentage of a lot of our customers in sales comes through mobile web. Um, and that's a very different world, a very different uh, marketing outlet uh, channel than what it would have been five, 10, 15 years ago. And kind of an I, I'm unpredictable not... change, except for, you know, there'll be change. I mean, just look at trends in business like open office spaces. It doesn't have to make totally. sense. It's just people were in offices. So the backlash is we're going open and then eventually realize that doesn't make sense. Um, uh, you know, let's get rid of meetings. Oops. Meetings right. are kind of necessary. We, maybe we had right. too many. Maybe we don't have enough. It's like you get these shifts of uh, everybody's in the office to everybody's working from home to, you know, oh, we need everybody back in the office again. Um, yep. things shift even when they don't make sense, just because somebody comes up with a new idea and a bunch of people jump on board and it can affect, it could affect your product or service. So if you just try to be static, you end up, you know, being Kodak, you end up being one of these companies that didn't look to change anything. So you said something early on feedback loop. Yeah. And it seems yeah. like this all comes back to, if you're not constantly collecting information and willing to adjust, 
um, you're going to be. I think you're a big football fan. Uh, it's the it's the quarterback. You have to have a blank slate every time you go out. You throw an interception that can't be in your head the next time you go out. Yep. That I mean that that's that's it exactly. It's not. You can't remain stagnant. You you can't just assume that what worked before is going to work again. Um, whether it is competition that catches on and and starts to you know chip away at that, or whether it's just the market shifted and what used to work won't work at all now, you have to remain constantly uh, analytical of it. You have to remain cognizant of what could change and why, and you have to be experimenting at times, trying different things to understand how those channels may play out. And even today versus five or ten years ago, the change the, the pace of change is faster. Uh, because technology allows it to be, uh, it's it's very it, it's very easy for a brand new platform, a completely new concept of connection with consumers, to literally start and and become you know red hot within a year, within six months, within three months. Think of Clubhouse, that was a huge deal all of a sudden, and it just immediately changed the way folks were communicating and the way brands were trying to communicate. Are we it, still it on Clubhouse? I haven't heard of it. I mean, that's, wow. that's that's the thing. Like, where is it today? <laughs> you, you've got Instagram, which is very different than what it originally started out being, and now is a absolutely monstrous channel for particularly earlier stage brands, really all brands, uh, to reach consumers. And those things change so quickly that your strategy has to be able to adopt as, uh, adapt to that as well. And I think the the really good marketers out there are constantly open minded and experimenting and trying things that are different. And not just assuming, oh, that's never going to work, or right. that's just not the way I've seen it done, so I'm not going to do that. Good marketers adapt very quickly. It seems counter to, like, I'm sure there's some marketers that have set up automations, and it's like, if you don't go back and look at your automations every once in a while, you may have a process automatically running that's that's very ineffective now that was effective then, but you think, hey, I automated that. I'm done with it. Yeah. Go back, look at your Google keywords. Go back, look at your email sequences. Go back, look at your everything exactly. all the time um so let's see get one more hit on bizarre voice anything else, any other takeaways from from your time uh marketing at that company i i don't i don't think so i mean it was it was really all about the you know it comes back to the core concept of the content that was going to work to deliver the right message and then the channels that we used to do that whether that be in-person events or you know distribution of those through just direct com- communication channels like we would literally get on calls and talk about our customers results um, you mentioned testimonials also, um, but you yeah. also talked about them as if they were references. You're saying getting these people willing to talk. So did For you sure. guys use your testimonials just like we're going to put this on the website and here's what they said in their name and company, or were those kind of handed off to sales to be able to have people reach out to, how did you integrate the reference slash testimonial situation? Honestly, both. They were, they were both. So we had the data and the examples that we would use to explain what we do and why it was valuable. And then of course, you know, we're a selling organization inside of a software company. There's always a bit of skepticism around whether that what we're saying is the truth, what we're saying is, you know, to your point earlier, just the, the one out one off example that is really out of bounds, but everything else is kind of mediocre or made up. I've seen plenty of sites that have the template testimonial that came with the frame kind of, and yeah. you're like, wait, I've seen this on five different sites, the same testimonial. Exactly. Uh, this is not a real person. Well, exa- exactly. And, and the, the validity of having a customer talk to a prospect by themselves, right? There, there was no facilitation on our end other than helping them schedule or get connected. Um, and of course, you know, that, that customer knows what we're trying to accomplish, which is closing another sale, signing up another brand. But they're not going to lie 
they're, if it doesn't work, they're going to tell them that. And we would encourage those customers to say, tell them anything that wasn't good, right? Was, was there part of the sales process that was too pushy? Was there part of the onboarding process that wasn't great? Was there a time where you couldn't reach someone in our organization quickly enough and you were frustrated? Like, tell them that. Because if we went through something like that, we honestly, we're still working together. You're willing to do this. We've probably made right by you. Um, and that's just reality, especially in B2B, when you're talking about software companies working with other big brands, like what we get to here at Wonderkin. You have to have that honest, actual, real relationship, and you have to be right. able to communicate that. And it doesn't mean everything's perfect all the time. Life is, uh, but how you respond to those challenges, how you respond to mistakes, et cetera, really make the difference between what you know a potential customer and a current customer are going to perceive you as versus uh, somebody who doesn't do those things well, right? And right. those are the generally the businesses that don't do well at all. So, what was in it for them? The references, like, why did they bother to take a call or an email and then talk yeah. to these people? I mean, er- early days we did incentivize, but we stopped doing that pretty quickly. We didn't need to. The results were pretty strong, very strong. And those customers had a great relationship with us. And you, it's kind of amazing, but people like to do nice things for other people when, you know, they've been treated well. And mm-hmm. they, they knew that, you know, they, they of course, we're going to ask for those results. And we're going to ask for them to do it. If they said they didn't want to, if they said they're too busy, we get it. That's, that's okay. Um, right. But we had, a, we had a, you know, dozens of customers and we do here today at Wonderkin where they're happy to get on the phone. They're, they're, they just said it, you know, blanket universally, just anytime you need that, let me know and I'll, I'll do it. Of course, we balance it as a company not to overuse one person over and over again. Right. That's hey, this is a great testimonial. We're going to have them on 10 calls a day. <laughs> right. I mean, they can't do that. But they, at least they're willing to take the right ones. And, you know, we, we try and do a really good job. I think we do a really good job of matching the right personality, the right subcategory of retail, the right relevance, size of organization, nascency versus established brand, whatever, so that there's more context that's, in, that's similar. Because, you know, if you're talking about like a, a customer experience of Macy's versus a much smaller brand new brand, that is digital only, they may not see eye to eye on the way they should go to market at all. And that reference may not hold as much water for them. Right. Um, but if they're similar style organizations, similar in other characteristics, they're going to take that and say, okay, great. This will fit for me too. This That's a tough You need similar, but not a competitor where they're like, oh, Correct. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah, see. Yeah. Uh... Once, once you get scaled up as a company like ours today, yes, you're going to have folks in similar categories. And, you know, just because you're an apparel retailer doesn't mean you're a competitor. The styles are very different and where you focus the market is. But there are direct competitors inside of our, um, you know, client list. And, of course, we're not going to ask those guys to speak on behalf of us for someone who they'd be competitive with. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you get enough of those customers. And if you deliver enough value, you'll have a lot of those examples. I'm um, picturing it, the Seinfeld scene where they show up and it's like Seinfeld and his uh, the, the downstairs, I'm blanking on his name guy, where they see each other and they're always like, Seinfeld. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, was it? I, I can't remember the name. Newman? Yeah. Is that Newman, it? Yeah. Newman. Newman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. get, him, you get the, the person on a call with a, <laughs> a, a testimonial and it turns out that's who they are to each other. You're like, oh, crap. Right. Oops. No, we, we don't want that. We don't want that. Newman. You do not want that. All right. So we've uh, we've hit on Bizarre Voice there. A ton of talk about testimonials. We're going to have to re- rename this uh, the Barbecue and Testimonial podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll hit on some of your other experiences as a, as a non-marketer and then what happened in those companies. And uh, let's see. You're listening to the If You Market podcast. We've got Michael Osborne on talking about marketing as a non-marketer. And we'll be right back. 
Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. I'm Sky Cassidy. We've got Michael Osborne here talking about marketing as a non-marketer. But before we get back to that, I want to dig into you a little bit, Michael, and uh, and also into your company, um, Wonderkind, and, and what you guys do over there, what you're doing over there, how you got there. Can you give sure. us a little uh, little story? Yeah, for sure. I, and and you know, as I said before, I've basically been on the Martech vendor side most of my, all of my career, really. And I've, I've worked in client services and leadership roles there. I've worked in sales, running it for Bizarre Voice. I was CEO at Smarter HQ. Um, and that's actually how I got to Wonderkin, which was an acquisition at the end of 2020 of uh, Smarter HQ was acquired by Wonderkin. And, you know, we'd been in, in the space together, Ryan Urban, the CEO here, and I had gotten to know each other at trade shows over the course of years. And we did things very differently. We were very different companies, uh, but in the same space. Smarter HQ had a lot of segmentation capabilities and and could segment data in ways that allow marketers to then target specific groups of individuals very clearly. And Wonderkin was a performance marketing company taking email and now text messaging and those channels to a completely new level, coupled with identification capabilities that allowed marketers to identify more of the users on their site. You bring those two things together and you have something really powerful that can answer So you guys a lot were chocolate more. and peanut butter, not peanut butter and peanut butter. Correct. Exactly that. Right. And, and be, by bringing those together, we've seen a lot of business benefit over the last year. The business has grown leaps and bounds. Uh, my role here at Wonderkin is president. And basically that means overseeing the commercial organization. So sales services, uh, our international offices, as well as all of the operations functions that support those groups. So really customer facing, right? Whether it's prospect or pro- customers to be or customers currently. Um, that's, that's what I do here. Uh, it's certainly the, the most favorite parts of my job. Like even as CEO at Smarter HQ, I really liked being in front of customers. I liked being in front of prospects. Um, and as part of the leadership team here, that's where I get to focus my time. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, you know, it's very, it's retail. We focus a lot on retail, but we're, we're moving into other verticals as well. And so listeners don't listen to that part because, because we're a B2B (laughs) podcast, but well, Well, when you say you focus on retail, you're talking about the retail customers or the retail companies, retail brands, retail brands. So that's B2B. Boom. Very B2B. Absolutely. We're not, we're not direct to consumer, but we understand the consumer and do use that as part because what we're doing is helping a brand deliver an experience to that consumer that's valuable, that makes them want to become more loyal by purchasing more products from that or engage with that brand differently. Um, you know, our, our CEO is on record as saying he wants those customers to have the best possible experience when they're engaging with that brand. And I totally agree with that. Um, if you do that well, the brand benefits, the customers benefit, their, their customers benefit. And we as an organization benefit because we're providing that service to those brands. Because you're selling marketing to them. So you really are kind of B2B to C because you're, you 
what you really have to understand is the customer and how to we do how to how to make that interaction. Uh, tough question for you: sure. chocolate and peanut butter. What meat does that go best with in a barbecue? <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of barbecue uh, dishes that will come with like a mole sauce, which is chocolate based. So you you can easily you can you can turn what sounds like a sweet product into something that would be served with something savory for sure. Um, uh, peanut butter, that might be a bit of a stretch. I'm have to back <laughs> in that one. I, I want you to come up with a, a barbecue that has that's that's a chocolate not a dip but a chocolate peanut butter barbecue <laughs> that might be too much that's why i said the meat would be critical it seems like you have to have a a very savory meat to put that yeah, much yeah. Uh, sweetness on it um <laughs> all right so that's that's your that's your personal challenge from uh from from me got it all right so get let's get back to the marketing sorry about that i told you i say whatever comes into my mind um <laughs> so you've had all these experiences with marketing, learning marketing, practicing the marketing. I'm sure you've had a lot of disasters and mistakes that you don't want people to know about, <laughs> but <laughs> can you tell the listeners some things to watch out for when you, particularly when you aren't an experienced marketer that maybe you learned along the way and said, oh, that's probably taught in marketing 101. I wish I'd known that. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I'm going to knock on wood and say, I haven't had too many catastrophics. Uh, I've, I've definitely had some, you know, missteps slash non-successes, failures, right? Um, I, I, and I can, I can go through a couple of those. I think, honestly, the, the biggest lesson that I learned early on is if there is an experience, if, it's, if a, a customer has a, a client, right, a B2B brand that I'm selling to or that we're marketing to, has a phenomenal experience start to finish from the first communications through the process of actually getting them as a client to the process of getting them deployed or live on the technology and then utilizing it and getting value, if that process goes really well, they're generally going to be a loyal customer. They're gonna, they're gonna let you off the hook if something goes sideways, at right. least once or twice. They're, you know, they're, they're gonna trust that you know what you're doing and you're gonna make better by that. And the first bite, if the first yeah, bite I mean, tastes good, they'll it, give you gotta, some it, slack later. Exactly. And, and it, you know, the, you want to know when something doesn't go right, that you do fix it, you, you're on it, that you care about their value delivery, but by their benefit and the experience they have. If something doesn't go well during that experience, they might still become a customer, but it's very, it's very difficult. They're always going to have that kind of apprehension of belief, and it's not going to be the same type of experience. And I think sometimes marketers can focus on part of the experience as opposed to the details of the entirety of it. And for you know, SaaS businesses in particular, that's a recurring sales cycle. They're always about to renew or about to terminate. They're always about to just determine if they want to continue to work with you. It's not like they just bought the product and then whether they had a good experience or not, they may not be a return customer, but oh well. I think in, in all of those, even in that example, right? If the word of mouth about your product is not that great, then it's going to be difficult for your product to gain in sales over time for you to grow your customer base. And the experience of how they interact with you as a business, how they interact with you as a product or service, all of that makes such a huge difference. And it's not so much that I didn't know that because it's kind of like, duh, you know, if it's bad experience, they're not going to like it. It's not going to be good. I think what the learning was, was more how easy it is for a good experience to give you that second or third chance if something does go sideways and how easy it is for a bad one to immediately turn them off. And I guess um, I'd say it, that means first experience. It's the first impression. First like what is their immediate impression when they first deal with you? They're either going to say, this is a bad company that maybe 
is then getting it good or it's a good company right. that had a little hiccup. Well, and that's it, right? That's it. You, you want the perception of you as a business to be very positive, very strong, and you want it to be resilient. You want it to have the ability to survive a, a dent or two. And that means that you have to really care about the, the totality of that experience. And I think com companies like like Wonderkin, where I'm at today, do it really well. I, I think there's some others that I've been a part of. Bizarre Voice was another one that we did it well. But some others that I've been a part of or an advisor for or just known in market where the reputation is not all that strong. They might be kind of the only game in town for a while, but guess what? Competition immediately catches up to that. And if that reputation is not high, then it's 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 honestly can be very challenging for that business to continue to be successful or to not literally just get lapped by competition. Right. So like it, it matters about that, that full experience. It matters about how you think of your clients and, and what they're experiencing from you. It matters that their customers are getting the benefit from it. Um, obviously I'm speaking from like a, you know, a SaaS B2B marketing MarTech standpoint, but I think that applies to all kinds of businesses. If the experience by the customer is pat is bad, it's going to be hard to be successful. It's really good. It makes it a lot easier. Right. It's going to be hard. I mean, I've found we have a software as a service product and that first impression, if people come, let's say, try your beta product and something's wrong, it's really hard to get them to come back and think it's going to be different. Even when you tell them, hey, we've changed this or we've added a lot of new things or we've updated stuff. They're not they're not having that. They've moved on to something yeah. else. They're not going to come and review your, you know, you give them food poisoning the first time. They're not going to come back to your restaurant, even if it's under 100%. new management. It's like, no, you're screwed. 100%. They are not coming back. There's other places to go. And That's they right. have moved on. And yeah, that first impression is so hard to get people to have another look. Doesn't matter how many new versions you come out with. Totally correct. I totally agree. Totally agree. And then I'd say also software service, last impression. It's yes. what did they get first? What'd you leave them with? Yep. Um, God, we are really ate up the time here today. Um, any... Any last impressions you want to leave people with uh, in an accidental transition there but, but before we go? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it, going back to the original topic, marketing as a non-marketer, I think it's, it comes down to understanding that we are all marketing and all selling at, at, at all times when we are early days in our business. And really, anytime you're interacting with a potential customer or a current customer, um, you're, 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 you're pitching your product, you're talking about what you do, you're passionate about it. But that totality of experience makes a huge difference. And you have to remember to think about all of it, every interaction that they've got, so that it's easy for them to want to be a part of that, to want to have that experience, and to want to talk about it with others. Um, I, I think as you know, marketing as a non-marketer just means make sure you're thinking about that experience over time. And of course, once you, you know, scale up and have a huge marketing team and whatever, there's all kinds of techniques and things you can do, but never lose sight of that. If, if your client experience is, is, is great, you're probably going to figure it out. If it's, if it's poor, you got to fix that first. And uh, from, from listening to you here, it seems to me that um, getting the customer feedback to know what they really want versus what you think they want is, yeah. is really important, especially the closer you are to the product. It's like, unless you're Henry Ford or Steve Jobs and you have the advantage of being able to tell people you can have it in any color as long as it's black or <laughs> This, right. the phone is the right shape and size and will never change um, because you are the only product on the market that, yeah. you know, Ford makes cars in all colors now because competition came along and they had to, like, they could only be that definitive when there was no, nothing no, else no option. 
You can only tell the public what they want when they don't have options. Once they have options, they'll decide what they want. iPhone suddenly comes in all different sizes now because other options came along and people said, people wanted it. Here's what I want. And Apple smartly said, oh, we're not going to stick to this. We'll never change our size thing. Oops, there's competition. That's Um, right. So yeah, be, be willing to get the information from the client and uh, provide the client what they want. Get that, get that feedback and, and act on it, I guess I'd say. Um, fantastic. Michael, thank you for coming on. Uh, listeners, you can find more of Michael on the show notes on this show, but you know, find him on LinkedIn. Um, what's uh, wonderkind.co for Wonderkind. That's, right. That's uh, correct. Your Twitter, Osborne Osborne. That's right. Yeah, Osborne by itself was taken, so I had to double it up. Osborne, Osborne. (laughs) Not the real Osborne, just Osborne, Osborne. All right, and um, again, we'll have information uh, on on Michael and and on uh, Wonderkind on the show notes at ifyoumarket.com. Michael, anywhere else you want people to find you? Anything else you want to know about yourself, about uh, Wonderkind? No, that that works. That's it. That's our website. Happy to to connect with everybody. Um, I, I, I love talking about this these topics and uh you know if i can ever help somebody let me know fantastic and then um listeners please do share us give us a good review give us a good testimonial reference rating whatever they call it on these uh on these podcast things and uh on behalf of the if you market team and michael osborne of wonderkind thank you for listening to the if you market podcast where we believe if you market the shit out of it with your own badass self they will come This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.